So I want you to open to two passages today. We're going to look at Luke 10 and then also Romans chapter 8. Now, not as much as the football team, but if you watched the game last night, you were tired and you were excited. I grew up in South Louisiana and there's nothing better than watching the LSU head coach go home with Gatorade on and an L in the column. So I'm just telling you... It was a great moment. But you're exhausted at the end of those seven things and then uh, seven overtimes. But there's just this unbelievable joy because, and especially for me, uh, at, at that. It's exactly, except on a spiritual level, what you have in Luke 10. It's the perfect opening story. Listen to what he writes. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. Now, they come back. They've been gone a while. They're tired. It's been a ministry. But they come back, and they're excited. They're pumped. They've got this tremendous joy, rightfully so, except where A&M whipped LSU. These guys have whipped Satan. I mean, it is a tremendous spiritual victory they've gone out people have been healed exorcism have occurred the enemy's been conquered and here's what jesus said he said to them i beheld satan falling from heaven like lightning behold i've given you the authority to walk over serpents and scorpions and upon all the power of the enemy of the uh, the enemy and nothing has injured you He says, look, I I get it. As a matter of fact, I will affirm it. I actually saw Satan get knocked off his perch. They poured Gatorade on Satan, and then he fell off. I mean, Jesus affirms what they said. said, man, Jesus has been great everywhere we've gone. Satan has been dealt with. And Jesus affirms that. He says, absolutely. I saw it. I saw him fall from heaven like lightning. I saw you bust him in the mouth. I saw you pop him. I saw you knock him off. You're right. So, if you're tired and you're excited, joyful, makes great sense here. He affirms them. But then he adds this caveat. Look at this. Nevertheless, in this, do not rejoice that the, de- that the spirits submit to you, but rather rejoice because your names have been written in heaven. Now, he doesn't debate the fact that they're tired and pumped. I mean, they're as pumped spiritually as we were emotionally last night. They're pumped. Jesus doesn't deny that, but what he says is, you got to be careful here. And remember, we talked in Ephesians about the fact Your position is who you are in Christ, unchangeable. Your condition is your response to that position. Now, their condition is when they went out and they preached and they used the name of Jesus, Satan is just blistered. Their position is that from the day they met Jesus, that their names have been settled and written down. It's permanent. Here's the difficulty, and this is why Jesus says what he says. Not every time will Satan 
be kicked off a ledge no matter how well you do it. Now you, we're going to go to Romans 8, but I want to read you something out of Revelation. Listen to this. I know your tribulation and your poverty. You are rich. And the blasphemy of those who call themselves Jews, they're not, but they are the synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison that you may be tried and you shall receive tribulation ten days. Now, he didn't have a bad thing to say about that church. They have done everything exactly like these 72 guys did. Where these two 72 guys went out, Satan fell. These guys live in Smyrna, and Satan's still running the show. He runs the synagogue, and he runs the city council. Because the synagogue's not the one throwing him in the prison, it's the city council. So for all of their holiness... And their gospel sharing and everything they've done, Satan has not been knocked down. He's still on the perch in the synagogue. He's still on the perch in the town. That's why Jesus says, I don't want you to rejoice because your ministry's been effective. Because there will be days, no matter how well you do it, it will not be. So I don't want you to rejoice. I don't want you to rejoice in your condition. I want you to rejoice and base it in the position that I have given you through my death on the cross. Because that one, he can't take from you and he can't do anything about. Now, let me show you what we're talking about. Romans 8, go to Romans 8, verse 1. Now remember, Ephesians 1 says that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit of, of, of promise and the Bible says that we are sealed all the way until the day that we're redeemed. So here's what happens. If you come to Christ, I don't care if you're seven. You come to Jesus, you accept him as your Savior, Holy Spirit indwells you. He seals you from the day you're seven, the day you believe what the Holy Spirit told you about Jesus, until the day Jesus comes back to get you. You're sealed. No demon can possess you, and Satan cannot undo what God has done in your life. You are sealed. Now... That's your position, and there are certain benefits you get from the position. Look at Romans 8, look at verse 1. Therefore now there is no condemnation to the ones in Christ Jesus. Now that's a flat blanket statement. In your position, from now until the day you die, listen, no matter what your condition says, from the day Till you die, your position is unaltered. God sees a sinless person because his blood has washed every bit of sin away from you no matter when you do it. And number two, he sees the righteousness of Jesus, which the Bible says has been applied to your account. So when God looks at your position, there is no condemnation. Now your condition may in fact be condemned. Shared... Uh, Last year, the head of the Southern Baptist Convention, Frank Page, who Peg and I knew pretty well, came out. He had an affair, had been actually, had been involved in an affair. Now, tried to kind of skirt that, but Stephen Rummage, whom I really loved deeply, chairman of the executive committee, sat down with him and said, you, you got to come clean. Now, when he came clean, Dallas Morning News Houston Chronicle, 
Washington Post, Chicago Tribune, New York Times, all of them pulled that out, put it in their paper, because it's noteworthy. Head of the Southern Baptist, having an affair. I mean, there's a great immoral thing that they love to publish about us. And so they publish this. So Frank, in his condition, he's condemned. He has to face his wife, has to face the kids, has to face the convention, has to face the executive committee, has to face virtually every place in America because virtually every major newspaper carries this story of what he did. He is in his condition condemned. And that condemnation is swift and fierce because that condemnation will result in he will never chair us again. He will never pass our another church again. There is a certain now consequence inside that condition as a result of that condemnation. And he has to live inside that consequence. But when the father looks at his position, he doesn't see that. He sees a sinless man resting in the righteousness of Jesus. And so when Frank dies, Jesus doesn't look at him at the door and say, Hey, bummer dude, you blew it badly. Jesus says, come on in because all he sees is a sinless man exhibiting the righteousness of Jesus while he lived here. There is no condemnation to you in the eyes of the one that really matters. Now that's the first thing you rejoice in because that's permanent. Now here's the second thing, look at this. Second verse, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. What was impossible under the law in that it was weak through the flesh, God, having sent his own sin in the likeness of sinful flesh, and concerning sin, condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteous requirements of the law might be filled up in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. And then if you drop down to verse 13, look at what it says. For if you live according to the flesh, you're about to die. But if by means of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you shall live. Now here's the second thing that's absolutely true. Okay, I come to Christ, my position, boom, secure, all the way to grave. Where Frank failed is not availing himself of the second benefit that is permanent, which is the power of the Holy Spirit in you. Let me tell you something about affairs. I've dealt with probably, in the 32 years I've been here, probably 300. They're all the same. No man or woman steps and just jumps into physical intimacy with somebody immediately. You do it in gradations. You do it in steps. You fail here, you fail here, you fail here, you fail here, until finally you've wrecked everything. But here's the beauty of what that says. doesn't mean I'm going to be perfect, but here's what happens. If by the Holy Spirit I put to death the deeds of the body, two things. I, I'm, I've been walking towards Satan. Now I'm repositioned. Now I'm walking toward the Father. I'm on this narrow road. Satan comes, tempts me. I step over here. Holy Spirit will convict me, and if, now listen, if I yield to that conviction and I rely on that same person to empower me not to yield to that conviction, not to yield to that failure, then I'm walking straight again. 
So instead of walking along and I step so far over here that I wreck my life, no, as I'm walking along, he speaks to me. I may do this, but I'm generally walking a straight line to the Father so that you can end well. That's the second promise. I have a Holy Spirit in me who will reveal to me my failure in time. And if I rely on him, he will give me the power to stop it. And I stay on a road where I don't ever ruin my family, ruin my name, and ruin his name in my life. That's the second promise you have. You base your life on that. You can't lose that. Third thing, look in verse 15. You do not receive the spirit of slavery again to fear, but you receive the spirit of adoption by which we cry, Abba, Father. This same spirit bears witness with our spirit that we're the children of God. Here's the next thing you have. You have a, an emotional and spiritual intimacy with the creator of the universe. Now, let me tell you what that means. Jesus said, right, go into your closet. So tomorrow morning, I go into my closet, open the door, I step into my closet. Here's several things that I discover. When I step in that closet, I don't see a God who goes, hey, I'm on the phone with Bob. Hang on. I run into a God who has been waiting for me to come into the room. So how do you know that? Because the Bible says in Psalm 139, your thoughts to me are more numerous than the sand of the sea. He's been wanting you in. So when I step in, I don't step in on a God who's totally busy. He's been waiting for me. And here's the really good part. There is no menu. He doesn't say, Press one if you're having trouble with your wife. Press two if you need a new job. Press three if your bank account's low. There is no menu. And I'm just going to tell you, some of you are like me. I know some of you are really spiritual. I get that. But some of you are like me. I've made a discovery, and my wife will attest to this. I've, I've discovered an inverse ratio in my life. I'm just being honest here. The more buttons I push, the less holy I become. I'm just telling you, after a while, I'm not a happy man when none of the buttons match particularly what I need to do. And the really good thing is not only is there no menu, but I'm talking, and I want to say this reverently, to the CEO of the universe. I was talking to a guy in one of these menu things the other day. I finally got a human being. And so what he said wasn't working for me. And I said, look, let me talk to your supervisor. He said, I don't have a supervisor. I said, really? You own the company? That is amazing. I don't own the company. I'm not the CEO. I said, then you have a supervisor, don't you? Oh, he was not happy with that. And at this point, I'm so unholy, I don't care. So the great thing is, when you step in the closet, you've got the CEO of the universe. Nobody's above him. 
He doesn't have to go ask permission to respond to you. He's the creator of the universe. He's been waiting on you to come in. There's no menu. There's no assistance. He wants to be your friend. And then he says, and if children, heirs, heirs on the one hand of God, and on the other hand, joint heirs with Christ. What does that mean? That when I die, I get a world that's totally hospitable. I never meet anybody again that I will lose. I never meet anybody not only do I not like, but I absolutely enjoy. I have no more guilt. And he has something to do for me that the Bible says I can't even think what it might be. That's mine. So you don't base your life on your condition. You base it on your position. That includes gratitude, everything else. It's a week of Thanksgiving. You thank God, certainly, for certain things that happen here, but the real Thanksgiving is based on who you are in Christ. That's permanent. He indwells you. You don't have any condemnation. You have the power to stay above sin. You have an emotional intimacy with the Father if you desire it, and you're going to go to where he said you're going to go, and nothing can prevent that. So you base your joy on that. You say, well, does it really work? I have a best friend in the ministry. He was on staff here for five years, Dale. From a human perspective, I want to be careful how I say this. From a human perspective, never had a good church. Every church he's ever been at, it's been horrible. He's fired twice. No immorality. No heresy. Fired twice. One of the times he was fired, he and his wife were mowing cemeteries to get money. And I don't know how it happened, I don't remember. But her hand got caught under the mower and cut part of three fingers off. While he's trying to live out a call, he called me and another friend one night. And he said, my father-in-law will pay my salary if uh, let me come on your staff and I can sort of get back in the ministry after having been fired. So we brought him on here. And uh, he was here five years. And then he went to another church around the corner, which was not good. Now he's in his last church. They run maybe... 40, 50, and it's just, it's not a great church from a human perspective. He's never, in all the years I've known him, and we graduated from seminary together, I, again, from a human viewpoint, he's just never had a good church. And now he's at the end. So I saw him, we were together probably uh, eight or nine months ago in Fort Worth at some sort of committee meeting or something. We were just two of us playing golf one afternoon. I think we were on about the 15th hole. And so I asked him, I said, so when are you going to pack out? 
are you going to retire? What you, and, and if you retire, where are you, where are you going to go? So he talked a little bit about it, and he said, I said, well, when are you going to retire? Don't get your hopes up. I'm not for a while, so just deal with that. But I said, when are you going to retire? I will never forget this. I expected him to say, because he said to me, I, I'm working through the book of Jeremiah. He does what I do, verse by verse, book by book. And he said, I'm working through Jeremiah, and... Uh, I'm going to retire when I finish the book. And what I expected him to say was, and, and I'll tell you, I can't wait. It's been a tough life. It's been hard. Every time I see my wife busted hand, I know that's because of what happened to me in my calling. And I just expected him to go, I really can't wait to get out of this. But instead of that, and we're in a public golf course. And he just begins to weep. I mean, just to cry. After all that, he is weeping over the day. When he comes to the last chapter, the last verse in Jeremiah, and preaches that sermon and retires. How? Do you ache over the loss of a life that has not been all that good to you? Because you don't base your faith in your ministry. You base it in your king. That's the key. Father, I know... Uh, impacted me. Father, remind us in here, nothing in this book is inconsequential. There are going to be days we knock the enemy off a chair, and there are going to be days, no matter what we do, he's still on that chair. Father, for every one of us in this room, let our joy, our gratitude, our heart be filled with all that your position has given us and let us lock down there and thank you for the permanence of what you do for us. In the name of Jesus who made all that possible. With heads bowed and your eyes closed. You're here today and you have never met Christ. It's a great day to find him. God's calling you to be a part of this fellowship. Or if you need to just come down here and kneel and pray. As the Holy Spirit speaks to you this morning. You come.